Hello, everybody. This is Patrick Fallhaber, the pastor over at North Decatur and part of this Greater Decatur Connection. I'm here with Dalton Rushing and Joya Abrams, who serve as pastors of Decatur First, but also very much a part of this Greater Decatur Connection. Today, we are going to be discussing together uh, the gospel text of John, chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. You may know a middle portion of it. John 3.16, and we will talk about that together. But before we even get into it, Joya, would you read scripture for us? I'd love to. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so must the human one be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him won't perish, but will have eternal life. God didn't send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him isn't judged. Whoever doesn't believe in him is already judged because they don't believe in the name of God's only son. This is the basis for judgment. The light came into the world and people love darkness more than the light for their actions are evil. All who do wicked things hate the light and don't come to the light for fear that their actions will be exposed to the light. Whoever does the truth comes to the light so that it can be seen that their actions were done in God. So for many people who, like us, call themselves Christians, that even there was too much. Mm -hmm. John 3.16 is everything you need to know about the Gospels. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about when you first heard John 3.16. And the reason for that is because I have a horrible story <laughs> that I want to share about my first encounter with John 3.16. Um, I won't say I'm a wrestling fan. Uh, in fact, that would be a lie if I did. Uh. <laughs> but the first time I ever heard of John 3.16 was actually when Stone Cold Steve Austin was hey talking trash. So uh, context, context for those of yeah, us who yeah. don't know what that is. <laughs> who, who doesn't know the WWF? Me. All right. <laughs> so uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin in 1996 was a uh, little-known wrestler starting to make his way up in the professional wrestling league of the Worldwide Federation. Patrick's really excited about this <laughs> story. <laughs> Uh, and so this is way too long of a story, but it's amazing. And uh, but anyway, so Stone Cold Steve Austin beat his rival in this wrestling match. I can't even remember the rival's name, but his character, uh, uh, the, the the character that this wrestler was playing was that of a born again Christian uh -huh. who had John three sixteen on uh, all of his stuff. He would pray before the wrestling matches, which would make you know any good Christian want to follow him. And mm -hmm. so. Stone Cold Steve Austin crushed him and then got up on the stand and said, what did your praying do for you? You've got your Bible. You've got your John 316, but I got my Austin 316. <laughs> and Gosh. I won't quote it directly because this is a family program. <laughs> but he says, Austin 316, I just whooped your tuchus. Okay. Tuchus is good. That's good. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> nice. So from that moment on, I was confused by okay. John 316. <laughs> I can and whenever understand. I, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. So whenever <laughs> I saw Christians talking about, which in the 90s, 
that was on every bumper yeah. sticker. Yeah. Right. It was yeah. all over the place. And my only reference for 316 was watching Stone Cold Steve Austin uh, talk trash from this podium in the World Wrestling Federation uh, Super Slam. So, my context in coming to John 316 <laughs> is a little weird. I'd say. <laughs> yeah. I but it seems like that. it's like the most important scripture ever. Yeah. Yeah. So Martin Luther called it the gospel in miniature. Right. Mm. What does yeah. that even mean? Well, uh, I think it means that Luther likes to cut things out of the Bible, which is actually true. <laughs> he tried to cut a lot of books out of the Bible. Um, and, and he said that there's a lot of truth in that scripture, in that verse. And like... There is, but the, the question of what does that even mean is a good one because there's no such thing as the gospel in miniature. No, it's the right. whole thing. Whenever you try to boil the gospel down, you miss a significant portion of the gospel. Right. right. Yes. Yeah. I just don't understand it. So for those of you who don't like have John 316 memorized, first, know you're in good company. But <laughs> two, uh, this is what we're talking about. God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. Um, and it's a great sort of tagline to the scripture. It's names Jesus's sacrifice. It does all those things in a really beautiful way, but it leaves out a lot mm -hmm. of what Jesus does. In fact, uh, leaves out anything related to Jesus's relationship with the people yep. in the world yep. that leaves yeah. out any sort of cultural stuff. We get, I think that from my experience of it, first, I want to answer your question. When yeah, I yeah. first, I, I have this image in my mind of somebody's naked belly with John 316, <laughs> like painted on their belly, like at some like sporting event. That's what, that's my first, like that, when you said that, that's what I imagined. Oh, um, gross. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> right, because that's, yeah, yay ESPN or whatever. Okay, so, um, but we get stuck with this believe um, who, that everyone who believes in him mm. won't perish. And I think I go back to the question, what does it even mean? Mm -hmm. yeah. Like, assent, like, that I, that I believe that he was, I mean, the devil knew who he was. Oh, yes. <laughs> so I mean, oh boy. so you don't get any points for just believing who Jesus is. Okay. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, so this mirrors my own remembrance of the first time I remember hearing the verse, which is I heard it in church, which is funny because I didn't really grow up going to church. Mm -hmm. Like we did some um, until the pastor that my parents like left and the new guy was a little yelly. And so we <laughs> weren't into it. Um, so we just quit going. Um, but I remember being in children's church and hearing this verse and I can't help hearing it without without thinking that there is an or else at mm, the end of the verse. Right. Because for me, it was not so much about who Jesus was or what Jesus taught. But it was, if you don't do this, you're not going to get the benefits of the eternal life. Mm. Yeah. And, um, and so the reason I think that's apropos is the business of what it means to believe seems to, in my opinion, to be central to how we understand this verse. Right. Because if believe is just, I have made a decision in my mind that this happened, which is how I first came to understand this verse, then it totally removes the context in which Jesus lived and removed anything he had to say about how we're supposed to live short of making that intellectual decision that it happened. Mm -hmm. Correct. Right. 
but perhaps believe is larger than just that one decision. Maybe it's about living your life in a specific way. One of the things I think is really cool about what happens in the beginning of those verses, mm-hmm. chapter, or verses 14 and 15 leading up to it, um, it refers back to a story from Numbers where you've got Moses who has been dealing with grumbling Israelites in the desert for days and God decides he's done hearing their grumbles and um, sends these poisonous serpents in some sort of, mm. uh, uh, and to basically to kill all of Israel. And um, Moses sort of pleads on their behalf and God says, okay, fine. And, uh, it says, let this one serpent go up your, come uh, uh, your staff. up the yeah. staff and uh, have all of Israel gaze on that serpent mm. and they'll be healed. And what they found in, in Numbers, uh, the story goes that these Israelites who looked at this serpent were healed. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, later in Second Kings, they actually... Uh, destroy that same staff because it's become an idol, um, which speaks to the difference between um, something pointing to God and sort of living in a way that's according to what God's calling us to and just becoming obsessed with looking at it the right way or um, um, thinking about it the right way. It's about what it points to. And so when Jesus describes himself, you know, just as Moses lifted the snake in the wilderness, so must the human one, he's talking about himself, yeah. mm-hmm. be lifted so that the world can gaze. And it's not just about belief in who Jesus is, but about what that represents for the scope of human history. And um, it, I don't know. Isn't that precisely what we do with the verse, though? Right. Yeah. Like, we've, we've turned this verse, which is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want to throw the verse out. I mean, like, I have an inclination that, if, that, that it's caused a lot of damage because of misunderstanding right. of it as if you could write it under your eyes and do better playing football. <laughs> um, Be careful, man. I know, right? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, b- but uh, the Bishop's a Florida fan. I got to be careful about this. But um, <laughs> the, the w- we've taken what it, what it points to, and we've taken some of that divinity and almost tacked it onto the verse itself Mm -hmm. so that it's like walking around with the sign or putting it on yourself or getting a tattoo of it and if you have a tattoo of it great it's a great verse i'm all for it but like that's not the same thing it points beyond itself to the larger ministry of jesus not just this one decision for christ as important as that is yeah yeah which is why so um so everyone knows that Chapter three, you heard last week about chapter two and how quickly Jesus came from being the 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 party man who kept the the wine flowing at mm-hmm. a wedding to being the guy who walks into the temple, fashions a whip and casts everyone out of it. And then today we get to this story where Nicodemus, who happens to be one of those temple priests, comes under the cover of darkness to ask Jesus, this new rabbi in a community, what exactly are the keys to the kingdom? What is the, what do I have to do? What must happen in order for eternity to reign over all of us? Mm -hmm. And Jesus's response is sort of, it's a long response and we only see part of it here. The first piece is just Jesus saying, 
Um, you've got to be born again. Right. And how right. confusing a concept that is. Right. That I, Nicodemus even says, I can't crawl back into my, my mother's, mother's womb. womb. Yeah. That's dumb, <laughs> You're Jesus. an idiot, Jesus. Yeah, <laughs> right. right. That's right. Uh, but, you know, Nicodemus actually, uh, or Jesus comes back to Nicodemus and says that it's not about this earthly birth. It's about a spiritual birth. That something new is happening mm-hmm. spiritually for you. You're being reformed into God's likeness. And um, Nicodemus doesn't completely get it, um, which makes Jesus frustrated. And he gets into this sort of, um, it's like, uh, you won't even listen to me when I'm talking to you about earthly things. Like uh, I'm telling you something I know and yeah. you won't listen to me. I mean, that's the back and forth there. Right. It's like, should I even go on? Yeah. Like, uh, right. You asked me a question. I'm giving you the answer and you're telling me that I'm the one who's an idiot. Like, uh, <laughs> <right>? <laughs> like uh, so what exactly do you expect from me? And, um, and then we get to this whole passage where Jesus is trying to explain to one guy who came under the cover of darkness, what it means to be born anew. And that's where we see this. And it's in order for Nicodemus to find new life, it's not even necessarily something that Nicodemus has control over. Mm -hmm. It's faith brought through God, through this guy, Jesus, who happens to also be God and also the incarnation of the word and also the incarnation of the light and also the incarnation of truth and also the incarnation of love. Like John sort of puts all of those definitions into this guy. Um, And it's, I imagine for Nicodemus, it's overwhelming, you know. I've been to retreats where I was learning from someone who's smarter than me and felt overwhelmed. I can't imagine walking to Jesus and asking a simple question. And then you get this. Right. I think about that every time I walk into the church. Right. Because I'm so often surrounded by people who are better than me, more mature than me, more generous than me, kinder than me less likely to shoot off in the mouth than me, which describes <laughs> everybody in every church I've ever served. I mean, I, I'm, I'm continually amazed at the goodness of people, and it can, it can do one of two things. Like, it can make you say, why even bother? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, which I think, I, I mean, honestly, just to be honest, I sometimes feel like, like what God is calling us to do is so overwhelming that <laughs> you only have to die. Like, I want to say, like, no, nah, I'm cool. I'm out. See ya. Um, I don't think I'll do that. And yet, what I think Jesus shows us in this passage and then throughout the Gospels is that it's worth it. If you are willing to give up trying to control your own destiny, right? If you are willing to to be reborn, which is a process you have very little say in right um that's really hard but but every time i walk into the church and i see these people who are better than me i'm reminded that it's possible because they could do it and they're not perfect church people aren't perfect clergy certain certainly aren't either but like if if this this stuff may be intimidating but if they can get to a place where they can grow maybe i can too yeah. Maybe Nicodemus can too. Maybe all these people can. When when you're reborn, I mean, you, when you're born, that's the most dependent you'll ever be. Yeah. Yeah. Everything you do point. is 
under the care of someone else. Yeah. Yeah. Everything. That's it. I mean. And so you're relearning everything. And to take that seriously, that mm. everything should look different. I mean, even your mother's face should look different. Huh. Yeah. As you are becoming this new being because you've been reborn in the spirit. Um, yeah, when I think about this text, it is... It's on one level, like, well, clearly, duh. And then the other level, it's like, what are you even talking about, Jesus? And this, this, um, the light and the darkness part in 19, um, the light came into the world and people love darkness more than the light Mm -hmm. for their actions are evil. I mean, don't, don't we see that? Yes. Um, as that is the basis for judgment that the world has judged itself already by their actions that they're mm. not they're because it's it's almost like making a statement not of what will but you already have made your choice mm-hmm. you can choose something different you can always choose something different but right now in this one in this choice you've made to be to love the darkness no you're you don't have access to the eternal life and that's but but it's available be born again and grow up again <laughs> yeah and the what i so the piece about it, eternal life there um, it, around darkness and evil it's not so much a, something that would happen because God comes with judgment I mean Jesus is explicit in mm-hmm. verse 17 that the son didn't come into the world in judgment but to and to offer life right but there's something about when we hide from that expansive love mm-hmm. when we do when we continue to operate in ways that is deceitful and we're lying to ourselves about um things are you know i feel like i have a handle on something or i tell myself over and over that Mm -hmm. i have a handle on something and i don't but that lie becomes a cover for me to ever have to deal with Mm. right that stuff and how when we do things that you know uh, jesus does this comparison you know like darkness and evil and light and truth it's not light and goodness right light and um, honesty with yourself about what you know sometimes about what little control you do have right. which today or this coming Sunday we'll be talking about in our sermons um, the death of control and how we have very little control over yeah. our lives in fact I read a book recently um, called On Free Will and um, I was expecting to have to read this really interesting narrative about how we have free will and God's gifted uh-huh. it to us um, but it's a fabulous, like, 30-page book explaining how we really don't Ooh. have oh. any free will. Really? You know, when people ask, act um, heroically in uh, moments, it's always reaction. You never actually have time to process what it's you're not doing. A it's, a re- it's, a it's the reflex. way you've built neuropathways or the way circumstances have led you to a spot, and you don't really have any option. Like, if mm. the glass were falling on the ground, you're just going to reach for it. Not because you thought through what a spill would mean, but because your reaction would do it. That's Mm. not, you don't have will over that. You don't have control over that. Mm. Um, But it was fascinating. So so then what about, I mean, what about the choice to reorient your life? That's what Jesus is talking about here. Um, That that it's not easy to be... Pulled about, pulled by so many forces. I mean, we all are. Mm-hmm. We're pulled by, like, literally, 
to start at the smallest level, like neurological forces, right. we're, we're pulled with, with uh, responsibility and family. We're pulled with, um, you know, various societal forces. But Jesus is talking about um, a decision that each of us has to make. And we have to make it continually. Like, mm-hmm. you don't just make it once, right? I was saved, I am saved, I am being saved. So so it's not easy to, to sort of step outside those forces, but what I he- hear here is that there is freedom to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so what I think Jesus is talking about is, is trust, which is not the thing I'm best at. Right. I right. don't think many people are really good at it particularly when it involves trusting something outside of myself. Yes. I want to go back to what you were saying about the not having choice that we, we're not choice control. control, Sorry. Sorry. We don't, that we don't (laughs) have control. I'm thinking about that. Like, but we, but we're creating, we're, we're, we're laying the pathway for what our response is going to be. Yes. And I think that's where this, this belief happens that we're, we're, We've made a choice and now we're training ourselves, teaching ourselves, learning, living in community where certain behaviors are what become less difficult. Mm -hmm. I won't say easy. Love, I don't think is ever easy. I mean, I haven't reached perfection yet. Lord willing, I will get there. Um, (laughs) Maybe it'll be easy then. (laughs) I don't know. Um, um, Christian perfection. And so that there's this, this environment, this, this, atmosphere that we create where or that not so much that we create but that we open up our awareness to to help us to form the ability to then make choices that are loving yeah when Um, it becomes second nature they actually do this um they've done studies uh, you know I, i played lacrosse in high school and college and I remember on the field in a game, mm-hmm. I would just have like some stupid song stuck in my head. And I wasn't thinking at all about what I was doing on a field because of the amount of time that we practiced. And I actually do studies on that with musicians and um, athletes, people who train on a specific task over and over and over. And when mm-hmm. they're doing that task, brain function almost goes flatline. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not thinking about it They're anymore. not thinking about it at all because it's become mm-hmm. a habit in such a way that it's just natural Hmm. but in order to build those habits you have to to practice so this idea of you know if we think about jesus as being up on a staff or cross or Mm. um in the heavens wherever you put jesus in the spectrum of his life the same way that moses held out his serpent staff Mm -hmm. gazing moving towards walking towards this being that is nothing but pure love and light and truth starts to build those habits and pathways in a way that I I imagine Christian perfection is when we're living in such a way that we no longer have to think about whether or not we're following Christ effectively because every habit, every step we've made, every decision that we've been able to make from today onward has been um, practiced in the presence of Christ. Right. Practiced in gazing at the, the serpent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I, I, I think about the people in my life 
who have been the most impactful, the kind of people that you just want to be around. You know Mm -hmm. what I'm talking about? They have a light about them. And it's almost as if being in the same room with them draws me outside of myself. Mm -hmm. And those people are always warm, but they're also always loving. Mm -hmm. Yes. The kind of people that I always find myself like craving time with are the people who are able to be love. And the thing about Mm -hmm. love is it is a fundamental giving up of control. Like that's what love is. It is attending to the needs of the others. Exactly. Right. And so when, when we say, when we talk about um, John 3.16, God so loving the world that God sent God's only son, um, that whoever believed in him wouldn't perish but have eternal life. The fundamental giving up there isn't just the belief in Jesus. It is acknowledging, though, though, that, though that's important, mm-hmm. but it is acknowledging that the act happened because God so loved, loved. Yeah. Right. the world. And the world is important there. Right. Yeah. God loves you. Yeah. All of us. But all of us. Yeah. yeah. Even those people that we don't like. Mm-hmm. All of us. No, no, no. Yeah. I don't like that. I don't like that at all. <laughs> I just want God to like the people that I like. Nope. Sorry. You know? God's too big for that. It's, it's true. <laughs> it's, a, it's a struggle. Yeah. That's yeah, a right. hard thing. But there's power just simply gazing, mm-hmm. to use right. Patrick's language, or just being in the presence of God. It draws you outside yourself if you are willing to let yourself be drawn. Yes, right. that's where that control piece becomes difficult, and it's giving up control. And that's all it is. I mean, if the the little control you have is to let go of it, you know, yeah, that's all you have, <laughs> or the illusion of it, yeah. right? Or sit in the darkness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and that sucks. Yeah, <laughs> and the darkness is no fun. Yeah, yeah, because then you know, like one lie begets another lie begets another lie, and then you forget the story, even that you're telling yourself. Yeah, you know? yeah. What part was true? Mm-hmm. Which is why. The, one of the first steps on any recovery process is telling the truth. Yeah. So we've got some questions for you. Um, we are heading into Sunday, and this Sunday we're going to be talking about the death of control and how we need to let that go. And sometimes that is a good and joyful thing, and sometimes that is its own version of suffering. Uh, but in this sermon series where we only have to die... That seems only appropriate. So the three questions we have for you this week are these. The first question, what is your personal experience or first memory of John 3.16? If it is Stone Cold Steve Austin, send me an email about it. Uh, You are in good company. The second question is this, what is the difference between thinking something is true and believing something is true? The third question, what do we have control over? What do we not have control over? And what are the implications of those responses for how we choose to live our lives of faith? I hope you join us next week. We'll be talking about the death of avoidance, and we hope to see you then.